This is the Grind It Podcast. We know just like grinding a handrail or across the coping can be challenging at times, so can life be. We share God's Word and personal stories to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. In the last podcast, I gave an introduction to the book of Romans and some a little bit of insight as to what Rome was like back in Paul's day. So if you missed the last podcast, go back and take a listen to that. Um, and because the reason that I did that is I literally had at least two conversations this week with uh, some of the younger generation. Some uh, They're not teenagers, but I guess they're young adults around 20 years of old, uh, 20 years of age this week. And the conversation... I won't bore you with all the details, but it went something like this. They said things have changed so much since the Bible was written and since it's so old. And a lot of people have this attitude, young and old. But they said things have changed so much since the Bible was written and since it's so old that it needs changing and it needs updating to fit today's culture. And my first thought was nothing has changed from when the Bible was written, when the book of Romans was written, than it has today. Nothing has changed. Because if you go back and listen to the last podcast, and, and the material that I used, uh, especially from the professor uh, from uh, the, the Rochester Co- uh, University, uh, he gives a, a great insight of the, what uh, Rome was like in Paul's day. And as I was going through that, it you'll hear me say nothing's changed nothing's changed this hasn't changed over and over again because it sounds just like that he is describing today's society today's culture and especially here in the in the united states and the only thing that really has changed is the technology in rome they had the technology for their day they they even had they had nice paved roads uh, that still exist. You can Google image uh, some of those roads. They still exist. There's some buildings. The architecture is crazy good. Uh, they invented the arch and uh, they um, invented the air conditioner. They had air conditioned walls in their in their buildings. Uh, Rome was way ahead of its time. Um, but now, you know, we have cell phones and social media and internet and things like that. But, of course, they didn't have that. So, that really, the only thing that's changed, changed is the technology. Society, they still had the same issues back then that we have today. And the second thing that I'll say uh, about their idea is that <clears throat> the Bible is the standard. Or should I say, really, God is the standard. And God never changes god is holy he is perfect he is absolute truth and like i said he never changes um he is not going to change to fit our culture he is the standard he never changes people change seasons change as the song says from the 80s seasons change people change can't remember the rest of the words but that's how the song goes but god never changes the Bible makes that clear over and over again that God never changes. And He is the absolute truth. He is the standard. Um, I used to build houses in the past. And there's a thing that construction workers use when they're when they're building a house. And it's called a plumb line. And what a plumb line is, it's a weight 
on the end of a string and they would drop that plumb line down and whenever that plumb line dropped and quit swinging when it came steady and, and it was stopped in one position that line was a straight perpendicular line it was perfectly straight and they could put a mark on the floor underneath that plumb line and they can take measurements off that string and know that their walls every measurement they take is going to be straight up and down it, it, it's going to be perfect if you will and that is what a plumb line is and the thing about the plumb line it, it it's perfect it's it's truth it's the standard from which all measurements are made off of uh, for the other walls that are going to be built and the Bible says in, in several verses, but I want to share two with you, that God uses a plumb line to judge. Amos 7, 7 through 9, he's going to use a plumb line to judge Israel because they have become so sinful. He says uh, through the prophet Amos, he says, Then he showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that he had built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I answered, a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore all their sins. The pagan shrines of your ancestors will be ruined and the temples of Israel will be destroyed. I will bring the dynasty of King Jeroboam to a sudden end. That's King Jeroboam was over the 10 northern tribes. And what's going on here, Israel has become so wicked, even their priests have become wicked. They have Asherah pose. They have pagan worship going on in God's holy temple. And, and because the priests are so sinful, the people are so sinful, the king, the leadership is just so sinful. God says, you know, I've been patient for a long time, but I'm tired of Israel's sin. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of just letting them get away with all of this sin. And he says, I'm, I'm going to drop a plumb line and I am going to test my people with this plumb line. I'm not going to ignore their sins anymore. And I'm going to see if that wall is still straight. And obviously the wall was crooked because of Israel's sins. He says in Isaiah 28, 17, I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. And since your refuge is made of lies, a hailstorm will knock it down. And since it is made of deception, a flood will sweep it away. And because of Israel's sin and because they didn't repent of their sin, God drops this plumb line, tests Israel, measures Israel. Of course, they're crooked. They don't repent. And so God allows Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian people, the Babylonian army to come in and just basically wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Many were killed, men, women, children, old and young. The ones who made it out alive, many of them were carried back to Babylon into captivity. And the temple was absolutely destroyed. It was burned. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And the land set desolate. It was empty and quiet for 70 years until uh, Cyrus allowed uh, the Jews to go back and rebuild the walls uh, through Nehemiah and uh, the temple. If you read the book of Ezra, 
in the book of Nehemiah, you see that happening. And so God uses a plumb line of righteousness, which is his standard, to show just how wicked Israel has become. Now, <clears throat> I wonder how many of those people, the Jews back then, when when they thought, hey, we're God's chosen people, we're a-okay, we're fine because God loves us. I wonder how many of those people, when uh, their loved ones were being killed, when their loved ones were being tortured, when their loved ones were being carried back uh, or carried into Babylonian captivity, I wonder how many of them were thinking, you know what, God's word is outdated. It needs to be changed to fit our culture because it's been around for so long. And as we heard in the introduction in the last podcast, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go back and listen to it. Uh, but a major theme in the book of Romans is righteousness. And I just want to refresh uh, what I said in the last podcast just a little bit. And it comes from gotquestions.org. Uh, it says the book of Romans is primarily a work of doctrine, and it can, which is teaching. And it can be divided into four sections. And those four sections are righteousness needed, righteousness provided, righteousness vindicated, righteousness practiced. And the main theme of this letter of Romans is obviously righteousness. That's the plumb line that God used to check and see if Israel was straight or crooked. And you know what? It's still the same standard today. But Jesus Christ is our standard he, even though we're crooked, he makes us straight if we're washed in his blood because our sins are forgiven. Now, <clears throat> as we get into Romans chapter 1, as we're about to, right, in just a second, I've never studied the book of Romans before. I've read it several times, but I've never really broke it down. And so I, I just want to say I'm excited about this opportunity to study it with you, to break it down, and, and to hear what Paul has to say to the church at Rome. And I guarantee you, as we break down the book of Romans, you will see that the book of Romans is still relevant to this very day. So let's jump on into this letter and see what Paul has to say. We're not going to get very far. I'm just going to be honest with you right off the bat. We're just going to cover probably the first seven verses in the podcast today. So in Romans chapter 1, 1 through 4, it says, This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Cho yeah, it, it is a slave. Hey, slavery has been around for a long time. I'm not going to get into that. But the just real quickly, the Greek word for slave is doulos, and it means exactly what it says, a slave. And Paul is saying, you know, slavery exists. He says, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. So he says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into the King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. So right off the bat in chapter 1, Paul tells us that he is the author of this letter, the book of Romans. And then he tells us that he is the author, but he also establishes his authority as an apostle. And he tells his readers where his authority comes from, which was God himself. He was chosen by God in Acts chapter 9 
when he was traveling with some friends on the road to Damascus. He, he was a persecutor of the people who followed Jesus. He hated Christians, and I mean hated Christians. Paul was a Pharisee. The Pharisees are the ones we've been studying about in the book of Matthew who wanted Jesus dead. They tried to kill Jesus over and over again for three to three and a half years. The Pharisees had a, a, a big uh, to do with Jesus being crucified on the cross. Paul was a Pharisee, and he hated the people who followed Jesus. He was going, if you read, uh, if you go back and listen to my podcast, I have covered the book of Acts in detail. And we read where Saul, who was Paul later on, but before he was Paul, he was Saul. He changed his name later on after he started following Jesus. But before he started following Jesus, he was Saul and he was wreaking havoc on the church. He was going from house to house and pulling out men and women, old and young. He's busting up families and and those people would be put in jail and they would be persecuted. Many would be beaten. Many would die because of their faith. And he was on his way to Damascus uh, with letters from the higher authorities of the religious leaders to inflict more damage on Christians, on Jesus' followers. But on the way to Damascus, he has uh, an encounter with Jesus himself. And this is what Luke writes in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. It says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. This is after Paul had this conversation with Jesus. Uh, Jesus knocked him, you know, shine the light. Uh, Shine the light, shine the light. Jesus shined the light and it knocked Paul off the horse. It knocked his friends off the horse. And Jesus has a conversation with Paul, who was Saul at the time. And he says, says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm the one you are persecuting. Well, uh, he says, Here's what you're going to do. The light blinded him for days. I think it was three days. And Jesus tells him to go to this man named Ananias in Jerusalem, and he would receive his sight. And Jesus goes to Ananias and says, Hey, there's going to be a guy coming to you by the name of Saul, and you need to baptize him, and he's going to receive his sight. And and Ananias starts freaking out. Uh, He says in uh, verses 10 through 15 of Acts chapter 9, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to the straight street to the house of Judas. Hear the detail. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now at this very moment. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now listen to Ananias. But Lord, I have heard many people talk about terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by leading by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But So he's scared. He's scared for his life because this man is persecuting Christians. He's killing Christians. He's making their life miserable. And he's, and he's coming to Jerusalem and Ananias is supposed to go see this crazy loon. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And from this moment on, Saul, who is, then changes his name to Paul, as he starts to follow Jesus, his his life would never be the same because he's going to become the greatest missionary that's ever lived. And he's going to travel all over the known world, preaching and teaching 
about Jesus and telling people about the good news, the gospel. Now, before we move on in the verses, I want to give a little side note here. You hear or you see on TV and you go you go to these different churches and you'll hear preachers call themselves apostles. I'm apostle so-and-so or this is apostle so-and-so. Well, guess what? They're not an apostle. They're full of bull because there, there are no apostles today. There are pre prerequisites to being a, an apostle. And we find these in Acts chapter 1, or I'm, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, yeah, Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And the, what was going on was the, the disciples or the apostles in Acts chapter 1 had to replace Judas. Judas has gone out after betraying Jesus and hung himself, so he's committed suicide, and, and they want a 12th apostle. And so what the requirement is, or one of the requirements, one of the prerequisites is, they had to be with Jesus starting from when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And so they had to see Jesus if they wanted to be an apostle. And there's not a person alive today that has actually seen Jesus. And if they say they have, you need to run for the hills because they're lying. They've been on some alcohol. They've been on some bad drugs. They've been on a bad trip. They've been doing something because they have not seen Jesus. That's why Jesus told Thomas, when he was resurrected, he said, you believe, Thomas, because you can put your hands in my hands and you can put your hands into my side. But So you believe because you see me. But blessed are those who believe but have never seen. So when Jesus ascended to the Father in, in Acts chapter 1 and at the end of the book of Luke, nobody saw Jesus again. Well, except for Paul. He, he got to see Jesus. And we'll talk about that in just a second. He got to see Jesus on occasions because Jesus would show up and, and, and tell him uh, uh, a thing or two. And I'll, like I said, I'll cover that here in, in just a second. Um, because Paul, he saw the vision of Jesus, the light shined around him when he was on the road to Damascus. And there was other times when he was uh, Jesus shows up and assures them that, that he is going to go to Rome because he had said to Ananias, he's going to stand before kings and proclaim my name and, and and Paul does this over and over again. He he goes to very powerful people, people that are influential, uh, and he tells them about Jesus. Um, and for the life of me, I cannot remember their names. Besides, you know, appealing to Caesar, and that's what happens. That's how he actually goes to Rome. Uh, but when he was arrested and he was going, he was being passed from leader to leader. Uh, he uh, was telling them about Jesus. And there was, I cannot remember the guy's name, but he, he says, you're trying to convince me that I should believe in this Jesus fellow? He said, you almost convinced me, Paul, but I ain't, I'm not going there. But I can't remember the guy's name. It's around, I think it's around Acts chapter 27, 28. Anyway, so Paul says, so how is Paul an apostle if, if, if he wasn't around when Jesus was baptized by John and he wasn't with the disciples the whole time that Jesus was walking on the earth. Well, Paul says himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he says, And last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared to me also. So Paul is a special occasion. Paul was going to be chosen by Jesus to go and preach the good news mainly to the Gentiles. The good news being the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. 
and how Jesus has died for our sins, that he is our once and for all sacrifice. He is our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, so that our sins could be forgiven and we can have a relationship with God. And that's exactly what Paul did after this encounter with Jesus. He goes Well, he goes off to be alone for three years, and I think he spent some time with Jesus learning, and then he goes out and preaches to the Gentiles, and every time that he goes uh, to a town, to a new city, he goes and finds the Jews in their synagogues because he's got a captive audience, and he would preach to the Jews in those synagogues about Jesus and how Jesus was their Messiah and that they needed to believe in Jesus. And then he would go to the Gentiles, and he would take every opportunity he could to tell people about Jesus. Now, let me give you a a, a second side note before we jump on back into the scriptures. The Bible consists of the Old Testament and New Testament, not just the New Testament. The Old Testament is as relevant as the New Testament. You can't really have the New Testament without the Old Testament. We got to have both. Listen to what the what Paul told the church at Rome. He says, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament. That's all they had back then. They had the Pentateuch. They had the first five books of the Bible. They had uh, Psalms. They had Proverbs. They had the writings of the prophets. And Paul says, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So why would we want to take the Holy Scriptures, which he's calling the Old Testament, out of the Bible? Why would we want to give somebody just a New Testament? The Old Testament is just as relevant as the New Testament. From Genesis to Malachi, there's over 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah throughout the Old Testament. There are tons and tons of great lessons that we can learn from God's people in the Old Testament. And if we study Israel's history in the Old Testament, we can learn what not to do and making God angry. We can learn from their example and how they were punished by God. What I'm saying is the Old Testament is very rich. And, I, and I'm just begging you, I'm asking you if, if you, if you have a Bible that does not have the Old Testament, get rid of it. Get you a Bible that has the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're giving a Bible to a friend or to a relative, please do not give them just the New Testament. Give them the complete Word of God. Give them the Old Testament and the New Testament. <clears throat> because both are relevant. That's why Paul mentions that the Old Testament are holy scriptures. And Jesus is is shows up from Genesis to Malachi and from Matthew to Revelation. Not just in the New Testament. He's also in the Old Testament. And it's just there's just a lot of good great lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament. Moving on. After Paul introduces himself and sets up his authority as an apostle, he immediately turns all the attention to Jesus. And he says, the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into, the, into King David's family line. He was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So just as the prophet said, Jesus was born into David's lineage. Now, the problem is with, and this is one of the um, misconceptions, and I talked about that in the previous podcast when we were breaking down the book of Matthew. The Jews, the religious leaders, the disciples themselves, they all had this misconception 
that the Messiah was going to literally sit on the throne of David because that's what the prophet said. But they thought that he was going to sit on an earthly throne, the literal throne of David, and that he was going to rule and reign and, and bring all this power and authority back to the Jews, back to Jerusalem. And that's not how it went down. And so a, a lot of people, a lot of the Jews were hung up on that idea and they couldn't get past it. Therefore, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But just as the prophet said, Jesus was born into the uh, the lineage of David. And we see this in the genealogies in Matthew and the one that Luke gives. But it's also confirmed by Peter when he preaches on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls on, in, uh, on the apostles in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 33, that says, and this is Peter's part of Peter's sermon. He says, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know, because they couldn't deny it. It was all over the place. All the people that Jesus healed, they were coming out of the woodwork. So there was no denying that Jesus the Nazarene was doing all these miracles and wonders and signs and that God was working through him. And he says, but God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. This, they would perk up when they hear King David. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You, will sh you have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But In other words, when Paul was writing this letter to the church at Rome, he says, you can go visit David's grave and his tomb, his bones they may be decayed, his body may be decayed, but it's still there. So David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, David, talking about David, he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. And David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. And he was saying that God would not leave him among the dead, or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, Peter says, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. So right off the bat, Paul establishes his authority, and he tells where his authority comes from. It comes straight from God himself. And now he's going to tell them, what mission that he is on. And he says in verse 5 of Romans chapter 1, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among the Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So Paul says that his mission was to tell the Gentiles 
about Jesus. But that doesn't mean that he completely left the Jews out. Because like I said earlier, when we study the book of Acts, and you can go back and listen to those podcasts, I broke it down uh, quite extensively. But when Paul would go from city to city, the first place he would go to would be to the Jewish synagogue and tell them about Jesus. Now this would get him in trouble because he would be chased many times out of those cities. They even stoned him and would beat him with rods. Uh, they, they would make his life miserable. The Jews would chase him, literally. Paul would leave the city and they would chase him, trying to kill him. Um, but he would he did not leave the Jews out. He would tell the Jews about Jesus as well. But his main focus was on the Gentiles. And one of the churches that he started, uh, I believe it was the church in Antioch, it rivaled the church at Jerusalem. It was a Jew, it was a, a, a Gentile church, and it grew and grew and grew. It was big, uh, just like the church in Jerusalem. But another aspect of Paul's mission is that he wanted to tell the Gentiles about Jesus so that they would believe on him, that they would obey Jesus, and that the Gentiles would bring glory to the name of Jesus. And so a question I have for you that you have to answer is, does your life bring glory to Jesus? Or does your life and the way you live bring shame upon Jesus? Does your life lead people to Jesus? Or does your life, the way you live, does it lead people astray, away from Jesus? As I said earlier, if I could talk, as I said earlier, I've had at least two discussions with a younger generation, a couple of people about 20 years old-ish, and that in just this past week, and two of those topics they brought up was all this stuff going on uh, with the gay and lesbian movement and, and the, uh, the drag, all this stuff that's going on. And one thing uh, that a female brought up was um, the idea of cussing. And they asked if cussing was anywhere in the Bible and if the Bible condemned cussing, which I, I thought was a pretty interesting discussion. Um, and so my response was simply this. Your focus is in the wrong place. You're focusing on these specific sins, but what your focus should be on is your heart. What is coming from your heart? What is coming from my heart? And what's coming from my heart, does it glorify Jesus or is it sinful and shameful and not glorifying Jesus? Does what I do line up with God's word, which is the standard? Because the standard never changes. The standard is the same today as it was thousands of years ago. And God is not going to change his standard to conform to our sinful behavior. It does not work that way. God never changes. His word never changes. The standard never changes. He is holy and he will remain holy. We, me and you, we are the ones that are to be transformed by Jesus and his sacrifice that he made on the cross for us when he shed his blood. And we are to be conformed, if you will, to God by the renewing of our mind. Uh, Romans 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, how can we not be conformed to the pattern of this world? How can we be transformed by the renewing of our mind? By reading God's word, by listening to podcasts like mine and others who are teaching God's word, by listening to podcasts of preachers who are preaching God's word so that the Holy Spirit will transform our mind and he will renew the way we think because we'll be focused on Jesus instead of earthly, fleshly, and carnal things. And so I want to end today's podcast with the words to the Gentiles who are in the church at Rome that Paul gives them. He says, and you, you Gentiles, you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I just want to remind you these few things. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. In Christ you are a child of God. In Christ you are holy because of his blood. Nothing that you've done. Everything that he did, he died for us. So live like it. And as you live for Jesus on a daily basis, in the words of Paul, may God give you grace and peace. Thank you for listening today. Share this podcast with somebody that doesn't know Jesus or needs to be closer, be drawn closer to Jesus. And I pray uh, God's blessings on you as you share this podcast and as you live for Jesus. Keep grinding. Thanks for listening to the Grounded Podcast. If we could pray for you or encourage you in any way, please email us at thegroundedpodcast at gmail.com or you can text us at 865-418-2824. If you're watching on YouTube, please click like and subscribe and you'll be notified about new episodes. If you're listening on an app, leave us a five-star review, but most importantly, share the Grounded Podcast with a friend. God bless you and remember, keep grinding.